ESPN LA 710. Lessons of the game. The first story of this new engaging television platform will be the story of a high school football phenom, Derek Sparks. In the game of life, everybody plays to win, but what will it cost? Win or lose, there are always lessons of the game. And that was a short clip from Lessons of the Game. For more information, please log on to ESPNLA.com and go to the experience page if you want to download more podcasts or check me out on Twitter at Lafern Cusack. Today, we're talking about experiences. We're talking about visually powerful storytellers with the founders of Quartermain Media, Mr. James Woods Jr. and Miss Alberlin. Abby Harris, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much Thank for having us. Now, Abby, Abby, yeah. Aberlin, <laughs> I met you a while ago and you were totally amazing. You just picked up the phone, called and said, hey, let's have a lunch together. <laughs> and you're so visually creative. You're, you're writing, you're producing, you're doing all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this woman is really amazing. Tell us how you and James got together to build this visually powerful storytellers quarter main media. Well, thank you so much for having us. I, my goodness, is for you to say all of that. I really am just floundering in life like everybody else probably. (laughs) Uh, But I also kind of feel like if someone crosses my path, there's a reason for it. And I kind of just take full opportunity to meet them and kind of dig a little deeper than to just maybe just being LinkedIn friends or Facebook friends. So uh, that's kind of where, where I am as far as like, you know, networking, I guess. So I kind of open myself up to anyone. But James and I actually were introduced by my brother. What? Say yeah. what? <laughs> I have three brothers. <laughs> and you know how it is with family. You have like that crazy sibling. Well, my crazy sibling, Hannibal, <laughs> was the one that actually introduced us. So the the least the one that I would have least guessed would have introduced me to someone like James is Hannibal and he he uh, introduced us at a party uh, he is in the um, the entertainment industry as well uh, in lighting and he met James like I guess like earlier in the week one month after I got here yeah one month after he got to L A and we met at a party and uh, just kind of started talking about our general interests became friends and then it was you know she was on it. Uh, <laughs> Let him tell it. She was on it. Country dude, country boy. From Mississippi. From Mississippi. Tell us about that experience. It's so far so good. I, you know, moved out five years ago in July, June, the end of June, so June, July. And um, like she said, we I met her brother. He introduced me to his sister and me and Abby next to my cousin. I've known Abby and her family the longest since I've been oh. in L.A., so, you know. <laughs> and you're a diehard uh, Mississippi fan, right? Yes, I am. Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi, <laughs> SEC. The, only if they win, though. So is that a diehard fan? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is. When you're born in Mississippi, you get to go. <laughs> you can do what you want. And then you guys got together, and you brought your love for sports and love for our community together to create quarter main media. Well, it's really funny. I remember kind of saying to James, okay, we need to create a production company, but what could we name it? And he told me this great story about his grandfather. Why don't you share, James? So my my grandmother loved soap operas. And, you know, they were the, you know, at a certain time of the day, I had to be still. I had to, you know, shut up, don't move. <laughs> 
because my stories are coming on. This is my grandmother. Yeah, everybody's and, grandmother. <laughs> and but my grandfather, um, you know, from a very I think like the day I was born, my parents brought me home, and he was, looked at me and was like, "Oh, this big, fat, pretty baby," <laughs> and he named me Quartermain. And Quartermain is from, it's a family name of one of the soap operas that used to come on. All My Children. All My Children. Yeah. And, um, and so I felt like, you know, anytime when, at a younger age, I was like, if I ever create a company, I wanted to have. When some, you create a company. When I create a company, <laughs> I wanted to have some kind of family connection. And I thought Quartermain was a powerful name. And, you know, it just looks great and sounds great, <laughs> sounds powerful. Yes. So I was like, well, I remember let's him. Go with that. I remember him telling me about it, too. And he said, have you ever heard of it? And I said, of course. But it was because <laughs> I'm really into soap operas. James will tell you right now, I'm, I'm like heavily into Celia, which is playing on Netflix, which is oh. like this like 40 plus episode telenovela about Celia Cruz. And I'm just really into <laughs> storytelling from so many different angles and I would say soap operas is probably where I got my initial love for it too. So Quartermain just kind of, I thought, of course I don't know who they are. The Quartermain, you know, everybody is And there. it just flows, doesn't it? It just, mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the sign, you know, our website tag, but it just looks sexy. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. to see this black and red sign, I'm just like, this is, this, this is, is something. It. This is exactly in black and red. It's yeah. like, you know, the ultimate color. So. <laughs> so you guys developed a documentary on the homeless. Uh, how did that come about, James? So um, being from Mississippi, you rarely get to see um, homeless people from where I'm from. You know, we it's a very rural area. And why? Um, well, most people, you know, being from the South, if you're having problems or something happens, a fire or something, you move in with family. Oh. You have that aunt or that uncle or your grandparents that you can go to and say, hey, you know, can we crash here for a little while until we get on our feet? And, you know, that happens a lot. I until I moved to L.A., I never, you know, I thought about it. I never knew anyone that was homeless, like that lived on the street survived on the street you know everybody i knew had homes they had a Mm -hmm. place to stay even if it was sleeping on the floor you had somewhere to go Mm -hmm. so moving out here and you know like every other block it was like someone you know sleeping in a tent someone sleeping outside or asking for money i wasn't used to it so um i told abby what can we do to help And, you know, since we're filmmakers and creative, I was like, well, let's do a documentary. What do you think about a documentary of about homelessness and what can we do? What can our generation do? We know that there's homelessness here, but how can we get rid of it? Or what can we do as just average citizens to rid it, you know, rid Mm -hmm. the the world of the problem. Well, she was like, well, let me do some producing. And, you know, and she got <laughs> Let's everybody. go to work. Exactly. Yeah. And then what happened, Abby? So. And so we wanted to look at it not so much from a perspective of, of I guess, we wanted to look more at the homelessness experience, but from the angle of what is being done to 
help. Um, we wanted to look at policy. We wanted to look at, uh, you know, just organizations and people who are dedicating their lives and committing their time and energy to really trying to solve this issue. So we did several interviews. We've taken several interviews. We're actually in post-production right now, but we've taken several interviews of councilmen and women, um, a lot of elected officials, congressmen, congresswomen, um, you know, a lot of the organizations that are in Los Angeles to, that are really, truly trying to help. Um, but but during that time, we've also noticed that the population is just growing and growing. The homelessness experience is ballooning into almost like a subculture of living in Los Angeles. And I think that's been the saddest thing is even though we're exploring this and people have hope, there uh, is still a, a very huge problem in our, in our communities. Yeah. And I've interviewed several or had have done several stories on um, homelessness and um, it's so intricate. Mm -hmm. And when I hear about policymakers saying we're going to eradicate homelessness by this year and this year, or, you know, we're going to get all the homeless off the streets. I'm like, are those just words? Because there's so many things Mm -hmm. that happen Mm -hmm. that, and people end up on the street, no fault of their own. Right. You know, people may say, well, you know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, mm-hmm. but no fault of their own. Like uh, a family with two kids, two two car garage, you know, maybe someone at their work embezzled funds mm-hmm. and, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck and then they go into work they don't have any money anymore. Right. You know, they're out on the street. They have no family. You know, you talk about family. They have no family and they're up underneath the bridge down here on Adams or wherever, you know? Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, too, most of us, even just the average um, working person in Los Angeles, is probably two to three paychecks away from um, having a homelessness experience. Yep. And that is very telling of, how, you know, it doesn't take much, you know. Uh, and then even further, I think that when it comes to... The, your concern about like, you know, well, people are kind of saying we're just trying to end it. We're going to end it. You know, it's so complex that I really do. I think after doing this documentary, maybe James, you back me up. But I almost feel like it's person by person, situation by situation, because mm-hmm. each person is dealing with something completely different. Right. Um, you know, we, some people don't want the help. Exactly. And that's another issue. I mean, they, and the thing is, some people that we met, they were like, well, I want it. But not right now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was something strange to me, too. I was like, well, what do you mean? And so I was like, oh, well, yeah. I'm just give it give it a couple more years. And then I'm, I'm gonna, I figure I'll be too old and then I'll then I'll I'll give this up. But again, I think it's like, oh, this is the lifestyle. You know, this yeah. is the culture. What did you learn or did you have an experience with uh, filming this that you're like, oh, man, I didn't. For me, it was more of just I have came away with how blessed I have been in my life to never have to experience homelessness or, you know, the fact that we are here in this, you know, huge city and we're just blessed to be able to make it from day to day and not have to worry about, you know, be blessed to have a job, be blessed to be able to have a family to go to, you know, to have a family home. Mm -hmm. I mean, not a lot of people have that. So for me to move from Mississippi being here. a somewhat fan, Some, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> a somewhat fan of Ole Miss. Uh, but <laughs> I just, re- you know, I realized that you know everybody has a different story and different circumstances. So, 
But it's also been really interesting, too, to see how the communities are coming together to um, help out. Like I noticed that the Rams and even in the past, Kobe Bryant has been really um, involved with the Home Walk each year, which is probably one of the largest fundraising events for homelessness in the city, um, given on by put, put on by the United Way. Um, and so I do think that, like, you know, our sports community definitely kind of helps with that. Um, and their their presence is definitely needed because I think that sometimes we almost treat homelessness as though it's it's invisible. <laughs> it's very easy to walk by the person on the lane on the bench or, you know, the drive by the tent cities that are in our communities that we're kind of like, oh, that's just they're under the overpass. That's mm-hmm. someone else's problem. Yes. You know. Um, and so it's really um, it's it. I think for us, too, it's been really great to see all the people that you don't even know that are really involved with trying to figure out the the problems to the situation. What were some of the challenges that you both faced in filming this documentary? Well, I think um, from a policy perspective, um, I think that a lot of the people that we interviewed, they they want to do uh, great things for, for the community and they want to see an end to this, but their hands are tied by bureaucracy. And I think that um, while there's a lot of good going on, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if the good is really being communicated across uh, across the city and between the uh, uh, other, all the organizations that are working to get working towards the same issue. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if they're all communicating to really figure out a more collective um, a, a solution to the problem or a series of solutions because it's not just one. <laughs> I think, definitely think that it is definitely uh, more than one solution that's required. But uh, I think that there are coalitions building community by community. But I almost will feel like there needs to be even more cross communication mm-hmm. uh, within. Uh, the organizations. And this is a combined effort of not just, you know, this is homelessness is just not a problem of the government that needs to be fixed, the federal, the state, the local. But this is also, you know, an issue that our churches um, have to deal with. Um, you know, these homeless people are in your backyard. So you need to be able to be just as responsible for helping as anybody else and not just look at it as, oh, okay, well, that's what the government needs to take care of. You know, I pay my taxes and, you know, that's for, you know, L.A. to take care of. Well, it's not. I mean, it's you going in to volunteer at homeless shelters Mm -hmm. to maybe help feed. I mean, it's you don't, you know donating funds you may not be able to go in on a weekend and help feed but you may be able to donate funds you may not be able to donate funds so you mm-hmm. know it's it's all the things that us as individuals can do yeah it's not just a one person job and it's that's a, what i i was saying it's like we we are all connected like you know i think about <clears throat> there's this homeless man in my well, there's several several homeless people in North Hollywood, but this one in particular because he got caught on camera coming breaking into our building and stealing stuff because mm. you know he mm-hmm. that that's he's homeless yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean last resort so what so what happens well okay our our the crime goes up mm-hmm. um, you know our property values may go down mm-hmm. you know so it's like we're all connected yes in this one little private community mm-hmm. you know so what can what can we do to move that needle forward mm-hmm. um what were some of the challenges you faced um filming uh in regards to 
Um, were they willing to tell their story? Yeah. Uh, I, I can say, Abby, <laughs> if you don't have one, you need to get one on your team. Um, as far as us, as far as us getting people to actually be, you know, a participant in the projects, no problem. I mean, I can't think of one person that was like, no, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm talking mm-hmm. all the way from, you know, congressmen and congresswomen all the way down, you know, to actual, the, you know, the actual homelessness, the homeless people that lived around us. We, I mean, everybody that she approached, that I approached, that we approached together, they all saw this as, uh, as a concern and as an issue that was important you know, important to the community as well as themselves. So I can't think of anybody that was just like, no, I don't want to be a part of it. No, and I think it was also like our approach to it. We didn't want to come from a place of trying to glorify the experience. And so when we were talking to people about their experience, so if we, you know, I'm going to talk specifically about the people who were experiencing homelessness while, while we were filming them. I think they were almost caught off guard by the fact that someone cared, that someone wanted to know about their story and wanted to understand where they were coming from and what they were feeling. Um, and I actually think that, um, you know, you know, no one had really talked to them about what they were going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, It must be, I mean, it seemed to me that while there's a, even a community within the tent cities, you know, they also have a loneliness. You know, we met people who had been married or, you know, have children or, or you know, uh, and or have moved here and had hopes and dreams and, you know, that didn't work out. Or we met veterans who uh, came out and, you know, had you know, experienced, uh, you know, some sort of crime and now they're felons and can't get work anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that spiraling kind of thing that happens when, you know, life gets tough. Mm -hmm. But we didn't really experience many challenges in the traditional sense of filmmaking, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's a, a testament to the, the question that we were looking to, you know, answers for. But the challenge I look at now that we're like in post-production and trying to get things uh, completed is we didn't get an answer. <laughs> and, I, and I almost say that to say that like our, our, our overarching question mm-hmm. was, you know, can we eradicate home- homelessness? Can we get rid of this? Can this be a problem solved? And the unfortunate thing, the challenge is that we didn't come up with an answer or one answer mm-hmm. or, or even a collective series of them. There was things we're trying, you know, as a community and things we're trying as organizations and people that want to do it, want to help. But did we come up with that's the thing and by a certain date will be done and no, none of those things I would say came about and that's I think hard to receive. It's hard to kind of put even your it's kinda of hard to end the project because right. we didn't get that answer. Yeah. Yeah. As long as there's hope homelessness, we really can't answer the question right now. Right. Until it's like, oh, the last person is off the street. Right. But is it is it more of you know building community houses because like the homeless uh, shelters that you know I've I I deal with what I um, know about is that there's a process that Mm -hmm. they have to go through to make sure that they are eligible Mm -hmm. for housing that they're not you know going to take advantage that they're clean and uh, like 
no drugs clean Mm -hmm. and and healthy and, you know, what they're going to do with their life in the future. You know, it's it's really in depth. Mm -hmm. But then there is a lot of homeless that don't want the help. They just want to come in, take a shower and leave. They don't want you to talk to them. They don't, Mm -hmm. you know, but and that's I mean, whether it's mental health issues Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a veteran that's traumatized with mental health issues. There's just so many layers. It's a bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's why in our documentary, we took the time to not only talk to clergy, um, you know, we also talk to mental health. Um, We, we, you know, um, mental health, um, you know, practitioners. And we talked also with uh, Midnight Mission, who has a full blown program to help with people who really want to turn their quote unquote, turn their life around. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but I think that, yes, it's those many layers that really makes the answer to our problem even more difficult (laughs) finding an answer finding that one answer and it's not about necessarily raising money and it's not just about uh you know um, building more housing i Mm -hmm. mean we need all of those things you know and and so i kind of keep coming back to that you know it's a series of things that need to be done and Mm -hmm. they're they're what doesn't help, I don't think, is are the laws that are being or ordinances that are being created to, you know, try to put a Band-Aid mm-hmm. over a situation. Mm-hmm. I think there's a recent law that just went into effect or is about to go into effect that's like, oh, you can't have the RVs on the street after, you know, for they're going to be limiting those. Well, that's not really going to help the tents that are next to those RVs, uh, you know, or curbing whatever behavior we think is going on in those RVs. And so, uh, you know, it just becomes, uh, again, those layers get like compounded upon Mm -hmm. when there are new different and different uh, things that come into play that you weren't expecting. So as you guys are doing this documentary and, you know, you had a had your vision of, okay, what's what's going to happen? What are we going to do about this? What how did you formulate the story? Because it's totally changed to what you were thinking, James. Well, we just started shooting. We <laughs> we, we were like, we just did it. Let's get these interviews. Let's, who do we want to see in our project? And once we put down names and we were like, oh, let's get the clergy, let's get the politicians, let's get let's get all of this. Um, she went and lined up all the names mm-hmm. and we just started filming and asking the questions that we thought were important to the project. And and, you know, bit by bit, we started putting it together, of you know, what we needed. Now, the some of the politicians that you interviewed, um, were, were, were there anyone that like stood out? Yeah, I mean, we talked with out? people, even including like Herb Wesson, Mark Takano, um, Karen Bass. I mean, they were very open to having conversations with us. And that was wonderful because we didn't think I mean, these are people they have amazing things that they're that are on their agendas. And but their care and attention to telling and sharing. Their their stories were just amazing, and I think that that was something that we weren't expecting mm-hmm. um, going into it. But then their conversations then led us to mm. other things, and you know, a lot of times we turn the cameras off. They were saying to us, "Hey, have you talked to? Hey, I would like to connect you with," and that uh, really helped um, helped us so much. And you know, Mark Takano, uh, he has an amazing story that where he actually went undercover. 
as mm-hmm. a homeless person just to experience what it was like. And, you know, he shares what he went through. And I think, like he said, it just changed his whole outlook. And it also changed his outlook on how we were servicing mm-hmm. people as well. So um, in know, what way? Um, he was, I think he was a little surprised at the care and attention that workers that mm. are, yes. you know, whether they're serving food or, or, or helping them with intake, uh, the process of intake, you know, there's a lot of care and attention that goes into that. So I think that that was a little bit something for him to say, mm. hey, it's not just I walk up and someone's like, okay, here's, here's bedding. There is that we're taking that one, that effort to to ch- help change the the life of that one. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a human aspect. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're, I, I say they're angels, angels really, because yeah. it's just like you have to be dedicated mm-hmm. and they are, and they've saved a lot, a lot of, a lot of lives. I've met many people that have been saved by the people that are volunteering their time to help the homeless mm-hmm. here in downtown LA and on the West side. It's just really amazing. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, you know, especially in, uh, the neighborhoods, some of the neighborhoods that we went to, you know, there's a danger in normalizing this. Yes. <laughs> and the danger is that when we normalize this, it, it makes it seem like it's, again, a part of our culture and it's all OK. And there is no like this is what we we are as humans. And uh, I think that that is the most concerning thing, especially like you're saying, from where we started with this to where we are now, it's taken some time. Film, and again, I'm more in love with television, episodic television, <laughs> short form content, sort of my thing too. And that's usually done very quick. But you know, with filmmaking, it takes so much more time. Well, because of that time, you know, it has shown us that like even the conversations that we had when we initially started, it's almost like, do we want to wait? And give it just a little bit more time. Maybe they'll, there's something new that'll come out. And, you know, it's it's really been, I would say, tough to say, cut it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and now we have to have to put it out there to mm-hmm. the world. And so uh, upon completion, what do you where do you see this documentary going, James? Our goal is to um, shop it throughout the film festivals. Um, we would love to see it on PBS. Um, any of their documentary um, series, a part of their documentary series. Um, But, you know, just out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will be doing a screening um, of our own Mm -hmm. uh, once the finished product is is ready to be shown. But um, for right now, we're looking at film festivals and PBS to wonderful to shoot it and that's you know all the lessons of the game lessons of the game is a new limited series it's unlike the usual sports documentary docuseries lessons of the game is a 10-part scripted drama chronicling the childhood high school college professional and post-professional careers of athletes who made headlines never before told dealings maneuverings and manipulation by family coaches school administration recruiters and the media trace the life of one teen into their adulthood Audiences will get to explore the backstory of a student-athlete's ascension to fame, delve into the foundation of their glory and their triumphs, and learn of the tragedy and the pain. Based on the book, Lessons of the Game, the first story of this new engaging television platform will be the story of a high school football phenom, Derek Sparks. In the game of life, everybody plays to win, but what will it cost? Win or lose, there are always 
lessons of Let's the game. Let's talk about that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, we have That's so many different projects Oops, uh, that we want to do. James and I definitely see this as a full-fledged production company mm-hmm. doing things from, you know, commercials all the way to theater projects that we have, you know, in, mm-hmm. in development, short-form content. YouTube's kind of our, you know, little baby, too. Yeah. And <laughs> um, But uh, Lessons of the Game, it, it was a book that came to us by a gentleman by the name of Derek Sparks. Uh, well-known probably in California, maybe even Texas. Um, but we were drawn to the stories for similar reasons, I guess. Like he came from Texas, Wharton, Texas, all the way to Los Angeles. And he was actually brought here by his uncle to play football. And the story was so interesting to me because while we hear about sports and we see the glamour on television, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that starts when they're student athletes. It starts back in junior high, high school, when they're first identified with talents. Now, you know, everybody doesn't, you know, come out of uh, college and then strike it <laughs> similar to the Jordan effect. <laughs> uh, for most, for a lot of kids, especially with football, they're actually identified in that junior high, yes. high school time. And, you know, it's very interesting uh, to see how that stardom at yes. that young age can affect a family and can affect a student. Oh, my goodness. uh, Can affect a high school and high school community and, um, you know, coaches and and Mm -hmm. teammates. And there's an awesome story with just this one person. But we wanted to set up almost a platform for not just football, but other student athlete stories to be told uh, from their perspective yes. and scripted uh, and uh, sharing that world yes. uh, from a different uh, different point of view, not documentary style necessarily, mm-hmm. but really digging deep into uh, character. Oh, yeah. And there is a lot of characters. <laughs> now, seventh grade. Now, my mind was blown. Um, there was a gentleman who worked here and his son was in seventh grade. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? He's like, Oh, well, I got to get my son on the fo- on the field because, you know, there's scouts. Come- I was like, wait, what scouts? What are mm-hmm. you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, well, he has to go to this. You know, I got to make sure that he gets into this school because that this is a better football school. Yeah. I'm sitting here going, oh, my gosh, I'm stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's really intense. Yes, very intense. And I also see the school's perspective, too. I, I attended Harvard Westlake and I remember when the Collins tour twins were, uh, you know, even just accepted to the school and they were coming and, you know, it was like, everyone's like, oh, this is going to this is going to be a big deal. And we're but like, Colin, yeah, like, how's it, we're like, how's this going to, you know, and I remember being like, you know, this is going to change everything. Like we're, we're really, we're not that great with sports. And like, you look at the school now and they're top in every single ca- category. Wow. And it's, it's, and I know it's because, I mean, I, you can really look back and say that was a huge turning point for the school for athletics. Like their athletic program yes. was absolutely changed because of, you know, um, two students that right. decided to come and it's a great, you know, don't get wrong. It's, it's top <laughs> academics still, you know, top, top of the country even, but I mean, you know, but sports, we, we ended up having, having a change and it was because of two student athletes that decided wow. to come to the school. Everyone likes to win. <laughs> I mean, I have, to, I have to take it back there again, but who does not like winning? But, but it is, 
So at all costs, Chase. <laughs> we like to win. We love academics, but we like to win. Uh, I love to I mean, how was it when you were growing up in Mississippi? Were, I mean, were you a child athlete as I, well? I was. I played basketball because I came, you know, coming from a very small town, we only had two sports. We did not have football. What? Um, from my my first high school that I went to, we did not. We only had Why? basketball and track. So if you played basketball, you ran track. That was the thing, and vice versa. But we never had, wow. we didn't have anything other than basketball and 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 track. Uh, track. So it was like, well, I wasn't going to run track. <laughs> you know, like I'm six seven. It's like it takes a lot of work. Oh my god, you're six to seven. Pick up all of these. I knew you were tall, but. It is. It's a lot of work trying to pick up, you know, a lot of legs and, and move them quickly. Like, no one understands it. So, um, but, you know, I, I played. I was not one of these, like, extraordinary, oh, my God, we got to have, you know, right. I was always You should have took in, up the shot put like me. I was like, that's I, what I am, did. I, oh, yes. I, we did just, not have to run. Yeah, we didn't have to run. <laughs> too much work. And it was just, it was too much work for me. So, but basketball was your basketball game. was my thing, and oh. it was like okay, you know, I really at the time I even then I was like, yeah, I don't see myself being a basketball player, but I could totally own the team. <laughs> I could own the Mississippi Grizzlies or something, you know, like I could. Oh, oh, oh. You know. I thought you meant own the team because you are the man on the team. Oh no, no, okay. no. I mean physically, oh, my wow. name is on. Interesting. The paperwork. To own. <laughs> yeah. So, but was it the culture in your school that you had to win that, you know, is the basketball game, everybody in the town is going to be there every Friday watching you? Small, every, I mean, and I think it's more, I think any athlete, there's something deep down inside of you that you want to win. You know, I, 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 for me personally, you know, you don't come out and then lose and be like, oh, you know. You know, better looks at you. You go inside of yourself, and you're like, "What can I do to be better?" And then, for me, that kind of goes throughout my entire life. It's like you know, decisions that I make. What, like, how can I make the best decisions for me? How can I make the best decisions for my family? How can? And I think all of that kind of comes from me being an athlete in in, in high school because it, you know, my dad. You 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 want that love. You right. want people to come cheer you on, and you want. Well, for me, I do. I'm an only child. So, <laughs> you know, you you like all of that, and it's like. But deep down inside, I think to be an athlete. Uh, there's something in you that you want to win. You're yes. not set up to be average. You're not yeah. set up to be second and be great with it. Yeah. You know, just be, oh, yeah, I, I came in second. No, yeah. no. you want to win. <laughs> right. You want to be number one. And I think that's how, you know, for my dad and me, that was our relationship. He was like, you know, you want to be great. You want to be good. You, do you want to be good or do you want to be great? Mm-hmm. And it was like, from him, it was always, you want to be great. And right. Even though I didn't do that in basketball and then come out to be this big basketball player, I think, you know, in other aspects of my life, it's like, oh, OK. You know. But isn't it, it is, isn't it great how much we incorporate sports in our life now? Oh, because yeah. oh, it's yeah. like the whole like I can totally tell if someone at work what, did not play a team sport. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the skills that you bring into your work ethic it's so disciplined. Like I would hire a sports athlete over a lot of people 
in coming into the workplace mm-hmm. because of that level of determination and we're going to win. This is a team effort. Right. I mean, it's ingrained in you, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, which so, is not a bad thing to have. No. I mean, competition is not. You know, being well, th- competitive is not a bad thing. Well, so. no, but there's a healthy competition, mm-hmm. and there is a, co- a competition that. <sighs> I will destroy you. Teen Titans go, you know, right? I may have a little bit of that. You know? Yeah. But um, there, there is that. And then um, going back to being raised in a small town, a lot of people that go get into professional or want to go to, you know, a collegiate, be a collegiate athlete need that scholarship. And it's a way out of town. And it's a way out of town. It's a way out of poverty, mm-hmm. you know, and then they are, you know, they're they have this all on their shoulders going yes. in. But how do you structure the mind of that student athlete to know that, OK, some something may happen. You may hurt your leg or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are you going to fall back on? That was all my dad. always. What are you going to fall back on? Yes. What are you going to fall back on? Yes. Dad, OK. I'm, I'm, <laughs> what are you going to fall back on? Dad, OK. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's interesting. James, like, don't go out there and ruin your life. <laughs> right. Just don't do that. You just have to have Get a plan. Get your degree, but don't ruin your life. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because James, to actually, um, yeah, I went to visit where he grew up in Mississippi, in in, in uh, Vaden, Mississippi, was the the town, and Carroll I, County, Mississippi. Shout out, right? <laughs> oh my goodness! And so, for me, coming from a large city and going to visit, I definitely could see where people um, would need to say, "Hey, I, I I think there's more out there, or what have you." And I think that's even more of a reason why athletes that are on television and and do have a platform, they'd be very mindful of what they're displaying because people in these small towns are actually watching and looking at Mm -hmm. them from a different lens than they probably could ever imagine. Yes. Um, But I do think that parents, you know, when their kid is a student, they definitely should focus on more than just, um, you know, uh, one, uh, just their athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this project actually came to us by a young lady by the name of Monica Ellis and Derek Sparks was the, the author of the book, Lessons of the Game. And it was from Monica's uh, desire to do something uh, uh, called plan, like making sure that athletes had a plan B. And she did a series of interviews. They're available. A few of them are available on YouTube now. Um, and it was about you know, having athletes in all different genres. She interviewed even uh, Olympians. She interviewed, um, you know, uh, you know, track stars. Every, mm-hmm. every, pretty much every angle or every every uh, sport, and uh, really ask them. You know, what would you have done differently, or more so, what is your plan B? Like, what are you working on now? Like after the fame, after the glory, um, and that was really our inspiration for picking up this project, working with Monica as a co-producer on Lessons of the Game, working with Derek to make sure that the story was told in a manner that um, you know could help educate parents. Mm-hmm. student athletes as well as the schools and the school school administrators um to say you know yeah we can we can win we can have fun 
But destroying lives in the process doesn't necessarily have to be the case. This is ESPN LA. I'm Laferne Cusack, and this is The Experience, speaking speaking with Alberlyn Abby Harris and James Woods Jr. They're with Quartermain Media. Talk about lessons of the game, lessons of the game. So going back to that, that child athlete, that scholar athlete, there's more than... Um, uh, what what is it? So there's a psychology behind it as well. You're the star athlete, junior high to high school. You get in college, you are the star, and then you're not the star anymore. Mm-hmm. What happens? It's just like you're. It feels like your life crumbles and falls apart. And the psychology of that athlete trying to find out their identity through sports. You know, how mm-hmm. do you, how do you find out your identity outside of sports? You know, you're not just a basketball player. You could be a basketball owner. You know, you're not just that player. You are beyond that. Did you find some of that going on within the script or how did you guys incorporate that in? Yes. I mean, I think that the... I mean, at the end of the day, there's still a high school student. So there's prom and there's dating and there's girls and boys and there's all of those things going on around you in addition to getting trying to get good grades and where are you going to go to college and all of those things are kind of crashing down and, and there are also these major life decisions like what what are you going to do with your life? And so I think that, you know, the the main thing that I saw from the story was, wow, this is happening to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Young boys, young girls, this is happening to a lot of them. Yep. Um, it's also happened to a lot of men and women yep. who are on the other side of it, out on the other side of their fame and glory days, on the other side of their trophies and things of that nature. Uh, and I think the key is really to determine what are your passions, because it's not always just the game. Uh, you know, and it's about taking those lessons of the game and mm-hmm. and turning them into life lessons. Like maybe you're into something else, and you really Abby, need to... it's about winning. <laughs> but we even have to win. But let's but say, but, but looking here, here's the thing, though. We are here right now, ESPN. Right? This was someone's passion about sports from from a different angle. It was about radio. It was about you know communication. It was about something, but it was also about sports. And I think that it's so important to say, okay, well, if sports is it just it for you? I mean, look at the Mm -hmm. industry of sports. Yes. And what does that encompass? So it's okay to say, you know, sports is my my lane and that's all I'm going to do. I mean, I had a professor who taught about sports and economics in the U.S. U.S. history. It's like, well, and he was passionate about it. I mean, he could. Because because there's a lot of money, even within uh, high school and college um, arenas that a lot of people are not talking about. Yeah. There's a lot of money there. I mean, because you can go into the whole scene of, well, should college athletes be paid? Mm-hmm. You know, I. What do you think about that, James? Do you think college athletes should I be paid? I do. I'm getting I you do. on camera right now. I do think and they why, should be why paid. And why is that? Because they, I, I feel like, well, my experience in college, I hung out with, you know, the whole group. I hung out with everybody, you know, from Keep it the clean. Band. Family were in the show. Keep I it will. clean. No. But I hung, I hung out with everyone. And, you know, some of these athletes who are coming in from uh, high school and they're great athletes may have two or three kids. 
mm-hmm. coming out of high school. How do you help this kid support his 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 yeah. family and also win for the school? If you um, let's say if you're at Ole Miss and you get to a bowl game, that college is paid for winning uh, millions and millions of dollars for a weekend. Um, one game, and if you get to a bowl and win and go, you know, national and all this kind of stuff, you get more money as a school. So my thing is, and that's including basketball, mm-hmm. um, that's including baseball. If you every level that you get to, with the towards the championship, you, that school gets more money. So my thing is, is okay, if school you can make four, five, six million dollars on a weekend. You mean to tell me that paying this kid stipend uh, of what five, six hundred dollars a month is helping this guy out no i mean you can't you you have mouths to feed some of these kids parents depend on them Mm -hmm. and helping out they have younger brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. um you know how my thing is is how can we make this as fair as possible and i know getting a degree is not the only thing that these colleges can do but it is it is something that well something that they could fall back on. But yeah. I know a lot of people, you know, may go in and say, okay, I'm two years and I'm out or three years, mm-hmm. whatever. When back in my day when <laughs> I went to college <laughs> and I was hanging around with the football players, I was so like, oh my gosh, you guys don't have to pay for college? Mm. Wow. I was like, okay, I, I know I have the student loan. Wait, okay, you get this? Oh, you don't have to come to class? What? No. You got an A in the class and I was helping you and I got a C? What's that about? <laughs> but, but on Saturday, you, no. you, you, you know, when you think about it, yeah. no, they didn't no. have to pay for college, but they were being ran into at full yeah. speed. No, I mean, their, their schedule, <laughs> their schedule. Uh, you know, uh, physically uh, being ran into by another 280 pound young man at the top shape of his life. I feel like that's sacrificing your body in some way for the school. Their their schedule is outrageous. Like I interviewed a, a gentleman I'm running back at uh, UCLA, and it's practice, uh, volunteering, uh, homework, practice, practice, volunteering, homework, and it's just like, okay, how do you get the time? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you? you know adjust that and what is the school doing to help you you know adjust in this you know this arena where you are the star athlete bringing in the money yeah and there's a tug of war even that goes on like i said even in high school you know your athletics programs and what um you know alumni are giving back to things of that nature and what they want to see even with homecoming i mean i know we're talking about college but it also trickled down all the way to high school (laughs) and it's amazing that it does but i do think that it because there's a setup of high school you know where you went to high school matters when you when you go to college and then where you went to high school, where you went to college matters later in life. So it's just kind of like that effect of we want to claim, you know, mm-hmm. that success as early as possible. People want to get in on the lobby level. Right. So yeah. what did you guys learn about um, doing lessons of the game? Mm-hmm. What just like stood out in your mind with this 
athlete. So we're still in the um, very early phases of development, um, but I think what we were drawn to was his journey from uh, Wharton, Texas to uh, Southern California and being moved around. He actually attended four different high schools during his his time in high school, and it just uh, seemed like, well, there was just so much drama, right? And at least for us with regards to storytelling, it just seemed like this was going to be something that people would be drawn to, and it's like, why would someone need to move, and who was moving him? Because those were, so these were, yeah, so these were, these, this is all a part of his story with his uncle, and his uncle feeling like he needed to, you know, protect his, his nephew, um, but maybe having alternative motives for those mm. moves and also what his ultimate goals were with being a part of his uh, nephew's life and you know uh, him not having a father that was able to be really truly be there to protect him but if he had perhaps he would have been doing the same thing just because of the talent that his son had so there's just a lot of different layers with that you know in addition to people like I said even just trying to claim him you know just so early on mm-hmm. I mean he's like 15 years old wanting to go out and have ice cream with all the other kids and it's like no you got to come inside and you know run down, run, run down the field and <laughs> and be on 24 uh, 7 and also not have having the answers I think also him coming and le- realizing on his own that he needed to take ownership of his own studies and learning and being a student not just an athlete you know and I think that all of those things really kind of tie into why we were we were uh attracted to this I think for James you know I mean you could speak on it but you know even him being from the south you understanding what it's like to come from something that's in a small town to a bigger city and you know it's like you've made it yeah in some shape form or fashion you know it's like um, especially from the small town that I'm from you had you know sometimes you have parents who will push you push you because they wanted to mm-hmm. be in that position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they wish they, you know, they may have had more talent than the kid that, they, <laughs> you know, they had themselves. But they're yeah. like, I couldn't, for whatever reason, I couldn't get to this level. And here you are at 14 years old having wow. scouts come look at, you know, like maybe now I can, you know, live through, you know, my kid's life. A yeah, little bit. which like, is Oh, yeah. well, yes. I mean, hey, don't we all do it? You see it with the, you know, the teen pageants and little, you know, yeah. tops and I'm, tiaras I'm, and all that. Yeah. So. I'm looking at your sizzle right now, um, and you got one of his things from 1990 saying Derek Sparks is considered one of the best in his area. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was definitely there. And like even still some of the records um, that he set, you know, I think that, you know, and Derek still to this day to this day is a coach. He's, you know, trying to help kids not to, to follow down some of the same paths that he went through. He sees things uh, from a def- very different lens now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it meant a lot to him to be able to graduate and go on to Washington State and, you know, go on into the NFL. I mean, it was very brief, but it. I just think that for him, his story. He wants to make sure that, you know, like I said, there's a, that community, yes. parents, you know, uh, administrators, as well as student athletes get a chance to understand what you're what you're embarking upon when you say I'm going to be a top student athlete. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and when a we, whole lot. And when we when we look at Derek's story and how it ended up, he ended up great. He did what everyone expects for college, you know, that everyone in the community would want you to do. go to college graduate, get that degree, move on, start helping people. 
But there are thousands Mm -hmm. of Derek Sparks out there Mm -hmm. who never graduated, who never got that degree, Mm -hmm. who never went on to, you know, for whatever reason. So it's like we feel like there's an endless amount of Mm -hmm. stories that we can tell, Mm -hmm. you know, because the United States, our thing, Friday Night Lights, you know, (laughs) football, you know, in every small town throughout America, we feel like there are stories that we can tell that not all ended well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we need to need to use those stories to also maybe help that next young man or young female that's coming up that can watch a story that we produce and be like, you know what, I'm going to not do the mistakes exactly. that they did. And that's why I I love sports. You can connect sports with any issue and bring it to light in ways that people can hear it or you know, if it was if it wasn't brought to you in this specific way, then maybe someone couldn't hear it. But because, you know, you know, you guys are coming on talking about, you know, student athletes and the homelessness and bring it through sports. That's like powerful to me. That's like, oh, my gosh. OK, yes, yeah. let's do this. OK, what else can we bring? You know, there's so many people that are actively doing things that are making a difference. You know, like Sparks, he's he's making sure that a, a younger child can make a difference in his community, no matter if you are an athlete or not. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, OK, let me share my experience to help. Yeah. Encourage, yeah. inspire. Yeah. Everybody has a, a obligation of you know doing their part and for us this is our part <laughs> yeah you know, and and anything else that we can do to help but for us specifically what we like to do in our passion this is our our way of saying okay we can help out you know yeah. because what if we tell one of these stories and you know the next michael jordan hears it and is like you know what i'm going to get straight a's mm-hmm. you know like exactly uh, n- n- little young african-american kid that has the opportunity to do his best and he actually applies himself and then come out to be the next michael joy i mean you can't ask for anything other than yeah. that you know so yeah. i don't know and he likes winning so, <laughs> as long as he likes winning <laughs> he likes winning yeah. exactly yeah. so uh with lessons of the game what is your next step and uh are you able to talk about some of the people you have signed on yeah so we're really excited that uh bill duke uh uh, the world renowned, my goodness, yeah. Bill Duke, and he's such a legend, um, yeah. has signed on to direct, and we're using that to secure financing as well as additional cast members. Um, but we're really excited to have the opportunity for someone like Bill, Bill Duke. Duke to sit down with us and talk with us about not only this story and his passion for it, but also filmmaking. Um, you know, he was, um, you know, we're, in my opinion, we're independent, we're, we're a young, scrappy group, and I think for him to sit down with us, we were kind of like in awe (laughs) I think that we were in awe of his body of work and to see him put his imprint on this we are just so excited to be able to do that yeah, he came on the show a couple of times um, talking about his film. Um, I'm, hopefully I'm saying this right. It was, I think it was Dark Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he, he's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> um, well, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Okay. So next for quarter main media, you, you guys also have the B-side agency yes. as well. Yeah. So we are a part. Um, we have a joint venture with a company called B-side agency. Uh, it is a joint venture. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
joint venture. Um, and it really is an opportunity for us to do influencer marketing and social media marketing. Um, and it's just another stream of income for us. And it's a, also just a passion of mine. It helps me fuel my passion for mm-hmm. the YouTube space and, yeah. and everything like that. And also short form content. We've had the awesome opportunity to work with some amazing ta- talent. This yes, is a commentary. Just did something for us with uh, Bad Santa 2. We've also talked and worked with uh, My Froggy Stuff, some some great talent uh, that has kind of come our way with um, the YouTube space. And we're really excited to be able to to connect uh, brands and advertisers with influencers of color. Um, And this has been a very important passion of mine uh, and just really excited for what we'll be able to do with that uh, in the future. Awesome. And major brands. Yeah. Um, Sephora. Yeah. Disney. Um, Disney. Yeah. I mean, major, you know, for us. Yeah. That, I, you know, I had no idea that women in hair was such an important thing. <laughs> okay. On YouTube. Yes. Oh, Like, yes. I didn't, all the men out there, if you're listening, you're going to do something for your wife. <laughs> Google women in hair. And just give it a card. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, wait, but, but speaking of that, actually, our co-founder with B-Side actually is uh, KJ Sanford with Kara's Hair Group. And she has um, made uh, a very significant profit share or rather a very significant um, profit model just advertising her natural hair uh, extensions on YouTube. You know, so it's just really been a really great thing. But yes, the beauty industry is huge. (laughs) (laughs) They're in it to win it, James. They're in it to win it. Exactly. I wish I had invested in this. I know. A hair product or something. A scarf or something. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So if anybody would like some more information on Quartermain Media, a visually powerful storytellers, how can they do that? Yeah, I think our website's the best way to get in touch with this, quartermainmedia.com. Uh, and then I am on uh, Twitter at uh, Alberlyn, A L B R L Y N N E, Albert and Gwendolyn. Shout out to you two. <laughs> For me, it would be uh, just contact me through the website. Right. I, I, you know, I'm a very close in person, so <laughs> I don't need you all. On, I don't. I'm not all on Twitter. You're the, <laughs> but my, you're the creative side of it, where you're exactly. making and animating exactly. and cutting and this and that, right? I like to be hit out. <laughs> Another day, just, only know. contact you if you're in it to win it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Abby is the brains. I'm the labor. So <laughs> I do the work. She tells me what to do, and I go do the work, and then you know we're all good. Well, you have to be willing to do the work exactly prince had a song like that willing to do the work hey all right (laughs) all right yeah that's enough for me still missing prince i know i am missing him well i thank you guys so much for coming he was a huge sports fan also yes so this one yeah (laughs) (laughs) basketball and pancakes we know This is Alberlyn. 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 <laughs> yes. Albert and Gwendolyn. So my father's name is Albert. My mother's name is Gwendolyn. And they were two black people in love in the 70s. <laughs> That's what I tell everybody. <laughs> but everybody calls me Abby. <laughs> 
Alberlin Harris and Mr. James Woods Jr. Again, Quartermain Media, visual, powerful storytellers. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is ESPN LA. If you want more information, please log on to our website and go to the experience page or check me out on Twitter at Laferne Cusack. Thanks for joining me. See you next week here on ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.